you're listening to The Parent Classroom, a space for quick conversations on how to nurture your child's education. I'm your host, Komal Shah, a former teacher turned consultant who fundamentally believes that every parent has the power to raise their child consciously within the K-12 schooling system. I cannot wait to bring you on this journey. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Make It Mindful, a podcast that explores how to keep schools relevant by looking through the lens of mindfulness. We make it mindful by interviewing educational change makers with an eye toward practical solutions for teaching. And today we have a familiar voice on the podcast. That's right, Komal Shaw has rejoined the podcast now that she is a teacher at High Tech High. Welcome. Oh my gosh, I'm on the other side of the mic as a guest. How times have changed. (laughs) That's what happens when you go back to the classroom. I think it does. I don't think I've seen your faces in a very long time, but I've definitely faced a lot of 11-year-olds in the past three months. (laughs) (laughs) Which is scarier. Uh, Yeah, I think it is. (laughs) Uh, Let's get some hot takes. How has your life changed since re-entering the classroom? Phew, am I tired. Uh, but I don't think that ever changes when you go back into the classroom. And for anyone who has not been following my journey, I left to the classroom in 2018 and came back in 2020 year three. So um, it's been five years and I think a lot has changed, but I think everything overall is a good thing and I love what I do. And so I'm just really excited to like share that with you guys, because I think going back into the classroom in a time where everyone's leaving <laughs> is feels very mm. against the grain. And so to go back and then also somehow feel a sense of like fulfillment in my teaching practice in a way that I haven't before is exciting. So yeah, overall, all good things, but not going to lie, still feeling a little tired. (laughs) So you you bring up a great point. Everybody's leaving, not everybody, but many people are leaving the classroom. You are not. Why? Why are you going back? Why did you go back? Gosh. Well, when I left back in 2018, I think I felt what a lot of teachers feel. I felt that the system was broken or as we talk about it, it's not broken. It just wasn't doing well for kids. And I was working in a charter school that was doing good for kids in terms of getting them to and through college. But I just felt that what I was doing in the classroom felt so irrelevant at times. It was not like teaching the whole being. And so there was just such an internal battle when I left. And it's so funny because when I left, I do what most teachers do, which is I love what I do. I just really can't do this anymore you know, and Mm. I get that. Like I felt that way as well. And I left to go to grad school and then survive a pandemic, which many of us have. And I think this year I honestly can once again say, I didn't think I would go back to the classroom, um, but found myself with an opportunity where I could go to a school that was doing things differently. And I think That's Mm. what led me to come back. And I'm not going to lie, when you've been gone for five years, I think you also forget what it's like to be in the classroom. So you you kind of are like energized to go back in some ways. Um, But it was not a decision that I came to lightly. And also I'll say as we get more into this podcast is there's so many reasons as to why it feels so different than what I experienced before. 
So you mentioned that one of the things from before was a feeling that what you were teaching was irrelevant. And we are all about positive change in education that can re, uh, allow schools to, to remain relevant. Is the teaching that you're doing at High Tech High, is that relevant and, and why? I would say, yes, it is. And I would also say that it's a work in progress, like any other new pedagogy, right? Or pedagogy. Is that how you say it? Pedagogy? Pedagogy. I've heard both. I say goji because, I don't know, <laughs> it I sounds funner. No, goji. Totally goji. Okay. I'm in the goji camp, <laughs> okay. but okay. But I was like, um, you know, let's not act like I know all the really fancy education terms. Um, I would say, yes, it is. And so for those who might be familiar with High Tech High, it is a PBL school, which is a project-based learning school. And though I have heard about this and I was on LinkedIn and, you know, you hear people talk about it, I'd never experienced that as a teacher and as an educator. And so when I was going in, I was going in blind. And I think I'm still learning. And so I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an expert. But the ultimate goal of project-based learning is that students are focusing on a project for two to three months or more. And they are integrating some sort of impact in both their lives and hopefully the community. And so the project is focused on something that's a theme. And so to give you an example of some that have been pretty phenomenal that are not based out of my own classroom, but there is a teacher at High Tech High who's done a Able Bodies project where he had the kids design video games for students with or kids with disabilities. And they paired with a community organization in order to actually create those video games and got to interview and talk to those students as well. And so that was kind of an example of one. There's another example of a class who created a billboard for a community that was based around addiction. And how do we shift that perspective around something that it, you know impacts a lot of families in their community? And so ultimately these projects the relevancy is embedded, right? Because it's real world. It's, hey, how do we extend what we're doing in the classroom outside? And hopefully, how do we make an impact in a community's life? And so I think that just that pedagogy is so <laughs> is so embedded in relevancy and real world. And I have never worked in a space in which my students ask me all the time, like, what's the why? Like, why are we doing this? What's what's the reason for this? How does this connect? I know. And, you know, I'm not sitting here and being like, well, you need to know it for the test, you know, which is, hey, no hate. <laughs> I've done that before. But now it's, well, in the project, we're doing X, Y, Z. And so that's why we're focusing on this because it's going to ultimately yeah, help you with your end product. And the way PBL is, it's like the kids have to present and exhibit a product at the end of this. So it's not like, hey, even if you make an impact in the community, you're just going to like not present it to anyone, right? There is a presentation time and parents are coming in and community members and experts are coming in and they're actually witnessing what you did for these past few months. And so there's just so much buy-in, right? Of like, oh my gosh, this is something I have to do and present. Now, I say all of that saying that a lot of times the projects are not always super 
impactful in terms of the community, right? When you have new teachers who are introduced to PBL, that may not be the case. And so I do say there's a spectrum of projects and the impact they make in the community, but ultimately that's kind of the North Star and the goal. Yeah. Lauren, are you going to bring up Simon Sinek now? Well, you know, I always love Simon Sinek. It's funny you mention that because I used a video of his this week all about active listening. Um, and I was like, oh, buddy, I am on board. And tangentially, side note, he mentioned a book in that. And I then went to proceed to put that book on hold from the library. So, uh, yeah. Anyhow. Uh, my- Shout out to your local public yes, library. because it's it. free. Yay. Uh, yeah. Como, my question, I was actually thinking of you today as I was subbing uh, a math class. Oh, wow. And, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but we were talking this week and you were talking about how I can't remember if it was you specifically or just one of the people on your team when doing math, mm-hmm. don't teach the math first. They let them experiment and problem solve. And then through that, they kind of wade their way through. And I was thinking about you today because I was in this math class and I had students who were struggling. And the answer to their struggle or the response I was getting was, I haven't been taught this. I haven't been taught this. I don't know what to do. And then like complete stop still. Like the idea of how do I then solve a problem or deal with frustration or combat those types of feelings. I feel like it was separate than math per se, but I was looking at it more of this like, okay, now what? Like you've hit a problem. So now what? Mm. So do you feel like your students in general, because of, of the PBL-ness, aren't feeling that frustration of, okay, now what? Are they more equipped to tackle those bigger things of I have hit an obstacle, so now I can adapt and overcome? I would say yes. And, you know, it's so crazy. So I have two answers to this. I think the first thing I will tell you is how I felt when I first met my students. So I teach seventh grade math science, right? But a lot is integrated with my humanities teacher because at high tech, you tend to work very collaboratively with your teaching partner. And so a lot of times it's streamlined across subject area. But I remember meeting my students and being like, oh my God, like, you have such strong voices, you have so much agency, but ultimately you're such critical thinkers and problem solvers, right? And that was something that I never experienced before because so much of what I was doing in the classroom led to apathy and passive students and ultimately learned helplessness, which is a lot of what we've talked about in this podcast, right? And so I think, you know, uh, so funny story this week, or last week, I did biospheres in my classroom, which, hey, yo, Komal's a science teacher, never done that before, but here we are. <laughs> um, and the groups were creating like these soda bottle biospheres where there were plants and then there was a fish that they had to keep alive, right? And um, they spent the week kind of doing that. And then they would say things like, oh my God, Michelle, no, we got to have to fix this. Like, it's not working. Like, we got to like fix the plant. The dirt's going in. Do you have something? We got to take it out. Like all these things. And then by the time it hit Thursday and we were moving them into the fish tank, I was like, I, I didn't do anything. Like students brought the fish tank. They brought all the stuff for inside of it. They're like, we got this, Michelle. Like they were handling all of it and problem solving. And they were coming to me and being like, this is how you move like the fish from the soda bottle into the fish tank, all of those different things. And so I think for me, I'm like, oh my God, would that ever happen where, you know, students are taking autonomy and 
they're telling me and I'm asking them, like, how do you create a fish tank? What do you do? So there is so much problem solving integrated in any moment. I feel that I'm asking them how to do things. And that's so different. Like, they're not asking me like, Michelle, what are we, you know, they ask permission and stuff. But, you know, ultimately, they kind of lead the way when it comes to some of these things. Uh. And they're so good about like, we had a door decorating contest. And they're like, we're going to put it up. And then my student runs in. She's like, I know you have lights. I'm going to grab those. We have a tablecloth. Let's put it like, it's just it's so hard to explain. But there's this innate drive to like, work through things and overcome them because it's so part of what we have embedded in the school culture. I would also say one more thing. I still teach math kind of traditionally. So we have a content class and we have a project class. And in my content class, what our school has found is that math is fundamentally so important for students throughout their lives that we have to focus so critically on math and but I may do more of here's a word problem you have 10 minutes to collaboratively work and try to figure it out and you can only ask me one question Mm -hmm. you can't ask me a question (laughs) and so they're trained that even though it's math it's like we got to figure it out like do anything try it out you know um so I do teach it a little differently but it is something we still focus on because it is still fundamentals to their learning yeah oh that's awesome um, since the last time you were on the podcast, I don't think you uh, have heard our working definition of mindfulness. Uh, but here we go. It's the in- intention to be attentive, openness to be present and honest with what is happening in the moment, and observing what is happening rather than trying to control our experience. And I think that that last piece is really the lens w- through which we look at education. And I'm wondering what you observe about your students that you can maybe contrast with the students that you taught in a more traditional setting. What I'm hearing so far is a degree of initiative that uh, is really just kind of built into the system and uh, and observed uh relentlessly, right? That they're, they're constantly trying to solve problems, whether it be about fish or math or whatever. Um, I'm wondering what else you notice, what else you observe about this particular group of students who are embedded in a project-based mm. learning culture? Yeah. Great question. I think, um, wow, so many things. I think there is a questioning that they feel, or like, there's a lot of curiosity, that's one I would say is there for sure. And so there's curiosity in what we're learning and how we're learning it. And, you know, I show videos on different things and they're in it, you know, and they ask me questions. So for example, yesterday we had a guest speaker because our project is on, is life sustainable on another planet? And so we had a guest speaker from Indiana University who's an exoplanet expert and he works a lot with NASA. Mm-hmm. And... I would, they, you know, speaker spoke, it was through zoom, whatnot. And at the end, you know, it was like, what questions do you guys have for the speaker? I had a list of 20 students who wanted to ask him a question. Mm. I mean, that in itself (laughs) tells you what type of culture of curiosity there is. Right. And the questions that these kids are asking are like, 
how high of a priority is it for NASA to find these planets? You know, do, are there colors on exoplanets that we as humans don't know? Has there been a human being on this exoplanet? What is the range of the shortest and largest exoplanet size? You know, what do we know about habitability? And I'm just here like, oh my God, like these questions are amazing. And, you know, we ran into break and I was like, y'all go. But if you still have a question, you know, definitely stay behind. You can ask him. And like five kids stayed. They were like, we have to, I have a question for him, you know? And I was like, whoa, like would that happen in traditional sense, right? Where as teachers, we might be like, you, we need at least, you know, seven questions to be asked for our guest speaker today. You know, who are those people going to be? There's more of a forceful nature. So I think there's that curiosity. I also think that they are so good at collaborating with each other. I think something that PBL does a really great job of is setting them up for success of what our future and digital age looks like, right? And so we all work in companies, or many of us do, in workplaces where you're collaborating. And they are very, very good at working with each other and solving problems and solving different things. And so I think that one thing that we have to do a better job of is actually creating space for them to work on their own because we have the opposite problem where it's like sometimes they don't know how to just work that by themselves because they're so good at working with each other. So Hmm, there's a caveat in that, right? And also I would say is that they feel a lot of agency in calling out when something's wrong. And also uh, they feel a lot of agency in terms of being like, we want this. How are we going to make it happen, teacher? Right? And so I'll give you two examples of that. So the sixth grade team, there's a teacher team and they do a sleepover at the school for students and it goes with their project. So one year it was, they were researching the harmful effects of social media. So they had a phone free sleepover to teach them about social media effects. This year they're focusing on like spooky stories and the power of like spookiness and death and like fear and all of those things. And so they kind of center the sleep around that. Right. So I had two students uh, come to me on Tuesday, I think it was, and they go, Misha, we have a proposal for you. We're just letting you know, and we're advocating that we really think that we should have a sleepover this year. We feel it's really not okay that we did not get it last year, and we really are advocating it. And I just went, okay, I'll keep that proposal in mind. You know, they're like, thank you. And so there's just this level of that. And then I do circles in my classroom and we had a really emotional circle um, because I asked students to bring photos of loved ones who have passed. Um, And it was kind of commemorating Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos. And, you know, I um, had a student email me after that circle and she went, I really want to understand the purpose of the circle. I felt it was very emotional. I felt a little uncomfortable and I'm just wondering, I don't want to question you as an educator, but I would like to know kind of why we did that. And Hmm. would that happen in a traditional school where, you know, a student feels empowered to like question their teacher in a respectful way? I'm not sure. No, it'd be the parent and they'd be writing the principal. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I mean, even now there's also an equity and inclusivity lens as well. So, you know, when Halloween came, they're like, okay, Michelle, but we need to make sure, like, does everyone celebrate Halloween? Like, is there someone who doesn't celebrate it that we need to be mindful of? Or, hey, Christmas is coming up, but let's make sure we do stuff for Hanukkah too, because that's important as well, because not everyone celebrates Christmas. And so 
yeah, I mean, gosh, I just spit out a lot of examples, but that's, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Let's just say that. <laughs> hey, we, we've been craving narrative on this show. So thank yeah. you for, yeah. for it's it, like, you're so obviously Im- embedded and immersed in it right now. The stories are just jumping out. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> so do students know what they're getting into, so to speak, when they mm. first arrive? I, I think all of this sounds great, but I can also see how much it differs from where maybe their local neighborhood school would have left off. And do you ever get that thing of like, what did I get myself into? Like, you want me to like talk to people. You want me to raise my hand. You want me to be wrong. Like those types of elements that are so crucial to making PBL so successful. Do you ever have people who are like, this ain't my jam? Yes, <laughs> of course. I think to sit here and say, right, I think we always talk about on the show, we need to be mindful that there isn't one size fits all. So I'm not going to sit here and preach that PBL is for every child and that somehow it's going to be this like amazing romanticized thing because it's not. We're still working with humans and specifically children. I think um, there are, we have kind of a mix. So we have students who come from the elementary school. So by the time they come into the middle school, they've already been pretty conditioned into the PBL life. And so I don't get pushback at that point because if you've been there since elementary, you, you know, you're enculturated into this is kind of how school is. Can I ask a clarifying question as in HTH has like H-T-E, like high-tech yes. elementary. Okay, got it. Yes. So there's H-T-E, H-T-M, and H-T-H. So I work at H-T-M, which is a middle school. And then we actually have an elementary school that's on campus. Got it. So there are a lot of students that came from the elementary And so because they've been kind of exposed to the PBL methodology and they've stuck it around for so many years, those kids are fine right? They've, they've been enculturated. Then we have the other mix of kids. We have the kids who came from a different elementary school. And in sixth grade, they're coming now to this completely different environment. Our school has a very long waiting list. So when kids get up, when a kid leaves, then another kid comes in and right, that's kind of a shock to the system. I think that a lot of times the students who had a lot of trouble at their old school you know, they got in a lot of trouble. They couldn't sit still. They really hated the previous school setting. They feel like this is a breath of fresh air, right? They're like, this is amazing. Like, I never thought I could experience this. Or, you know, we're, we are required to do at least two field trips per semester. Like, you are taking those kiddos out into the world. Like, that is very important. And so they're getting so much that they're like, wow, this is amazing. But you also have the other side where, you know, it's the same old saying where if parents even are kind of comparing it to the old schooling system or the traditional schooling system, they may be going, is my kid learning anything? Like, they're not learning standards every day. They don't have a set curriculum at the school. Like, are they going to be behind? Are they going to be okay? So you get those families who have pushback in the methodology going, this is maybe not best for my child and ultimately will leave. Um, 
We also have the kids who are kind of forced to be there by their parents, right? Their parents wanted to, and when I say parents, I mean, whoever that was for them, right? An adult in their life who's saying, hey, you need to go to this school. And they're going, no, but all my friends are at the other school. I don't want to be here, right? We got to think of the 11-year-old brain, right? Sometimes it's just about the friends. <laughs> they're that's, not- That's good. That's going to be my daughter next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> they chose it best for their child, but is it truly the best thing? So- I think it's a gamut. I mean, I would say that overall, I think students know how much of a privilege it is to to be at this specific school. And also every day I have kids who are like, oh, I don't want to be here right now, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think that's just the human condition where like none of us really want to work and we just want to like chill at home, you know, so. <laughs> That'll be the next school that gets started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if so all of this sounds amazing, uh, you know, human nature, notwithstanding, I think there are a lot of teachers listening to this who are like, okay, that sounds great, but I operate in a traditional setting. What can I take out of this that I can actually apply in my classroom? So what do you say? you stole the question that I was going to ask Cole (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) We didn't even write it down. We just both had the same. Yeah. Look at us. It's like we've been doing this for 20 episodes. Uh, by the way, this is our 20th episode. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, what, what do you say to those teachers who, who, who would love to implement a project-based learning curriculum in their classroom, but because of the many pressures and restrictions that they are operating within, they can't completely do that? What elements can they take? What, what, what can a teacher do to, um, to flirt with the type of education that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So I would say like if you're teaching a content, um, I would say you as a teacher, you want to think about how many problems can I put in front of my students that will force them to problem solve, that will force them to work at it for a long period of time. So even if it is math, what if one day you are not starting with a direct lesson? You are starting with giving them a math task. Um, Joe Bowler is amazing. Um, that is, if you're teaching math, that is one way to do it. How do you bring the real world in first, not last? Because a traditional way of teaching is direct lesson, practice, you know, um, and then assess, move into some real world application, right? That's kind of the, the, the five-step method we've learned in any of our subject areas. Areas, how do you flip that? How do you start with the real world first? How do you how do you give them a math world problem first? How do you, you know, take your kids to the school garden as the first day before you go into the science lesson? You know, how do you ask your kids bring something from home that's living and let's talk about it, right? And I think just flipping the mindset of thinking critically of how do you bring in from what's on the outside inside first and then extrapolate in kind of the the finicky detail-oriented things that you have to do. That would be my first. The second thing is I've done projects in the midst of traditional settings. It is possible. It may not be possible in the way I'm saying it because, of course, they're putting in funding towards field trips, uh, you know, towards, you know, I will also be very honest, I have very high parent engagement at my school. So, you know, I get mm. a lot of support and I get a lot of like my Amazon wish list gets bought. You know, it's it's amazing. Parents buy it for me. Believe me, teachers, I've never had that experience before. This is the first time. <laughs> but um, I think thinking about can you do one? 
one project that still has some of your key unit ideas that can make a community impact. So when you think about that project, who is a community like nonprofit that you can partner with? That would be the first goal. The second goal is talking to them and asking them, hey, is there a problem that our students can solve for you? That's number two. Then after that, you go, okay, this is what we're going to create or make. And there are a lot of grants out there that allow for you to get funding for something like this, like a project. And so that's something you can look for. And then from there, can you kind of break down what the end product is for this organization and then still be using the standards that you need to teach and incorporating that into this like fundamental like through line? Because when you tell kids who this is for and why we're doing this and who it's going to impact, the buy-in will immediately be there. You don't have to sell them Mm. on anything. And so I wonder if there's a way to do that. And um. Yeah, I mean, I also will say, like, for anyone who's interested, read on it. And you you see, as a teacher, what you can take from it, right? Um, you know, PBL has eight elements to it, which, hey, I'm new. I'm still learning. But um, it's like there's a launch and a product, an exhibition, and, um, you know, different different elements that you need for a good project, an essential question. Pick one and and try it, you know, and see what happens. I think it's great advice. I love the like very practical, very relatively easy advice to simply flip the the lesson order and put the problem at the beginning. Uh, obviously, the the doing the project according to the eight rules of PBL that might be for more of a go getter. Uh, before that go getter, is there like a standard like these are the PBL gurus? Mm. This is where you go. Like I think of like for digital citizenship, it's common sense media, right? Like they're they're the people that you go and and they have the best resources. Uh, does that exist for PBL? Is there a is there a McDonald's of PBL? Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> um, and I am totally blanking right now. Um, I think it's called Unboxed. We'll put it in the show notes. Then. Unboxed, <laughs> I believe, is one of them. Um, and if you ever just type in High Tech High, they have a lot of resources that I think you can grab. Um, if you are on LinkedIn, definitely check out Lonnie, check out, um, Kyle Wagner. Those are some of the PBL experts talking a lot about what they do and they support schools. And so, you know, if you're even a school leader and, and want some insights, there you go. Um, I also will say if you're interested in this, even if you're a teacher or school leader, like go observe a school that does this, you know, like walk in and see it firsthand. And that I think is invaluable because you're going to be able to get something, you know, I know for me, for example, on Tuesday, I'm having, you know, this is new to me, but I am finally at a school where I am so damn, excuse my language, so damn inspired by the teachers there. And like, it feels so amazing to be in a space where I can be like, oh my God, like I have so much to learn. I have so much to try. Like, Hey, I never thought I would have a fish tank in my classroom, you know, like how times have changed. But it's so amazing that on Tuesday, I have my teacher mentor and and I asked her, I'm like, can you take over my first and second period so I can go observe these three teachers in the building? Because I want to see best practices. And she said, absolutely. And so 
I'm going to even take my own advice and go observe because I think you learn so much seeing it in action and then being able to take it. If only all school leaders felt the same way and worked that into the schedule so that teachers could have the opportunity to do that. I think that for, for school leaders out there, that's that's one of those, like, if you can make it happen, like, no-brainer, right? Like, Absolutely. being able to let teachers learn from each other um, and um, and helps build that community piece. It's, uh, yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, Lauren, do you have any last questions for Miss Shaw, as she's been called on this podcast, uh, before we let her go? I feel like I have so many but I'm going to go with this one, which is what do you think is the most impactful skill that students learn through any semblance of project-based learning, whether it's the full eight qualities or just the one that the teacher who's hearing this goes, oh man, I think I'd like to dabble. Like, What is the thing that, that students might get as like a life skill from doing PBL? This sounds so cheesy. I was going to say that learning is everywhere. Like it's all around us. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like curiosity, wonder, appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, when you are authentically trying to integrate real world as much as possible and in and embedding it into what you do in this in the classroom, I think kids realize that you know it's all around us, and you can learn so much. Yeah. Um, and I and I would add to that and say because of that, you know, our students I've seen are very empowered and they're very very strong actually talking with adults. And you know, I I know I could have my students on this podcast, and I think they would share a lot. I think that they know how to talk to adults. They know how to talk to different people of all walks of life. Um, they're exposed to so much because they are curious and wondering and and, and want to ask those questions. And this does not mean all my students are extroverts by any means. They all have different personalities. But yeah, very empowered in being able to like share their voice and also like engage in conversation because they're always just curious. Challenge accepted. We're going to write up a, a, a waiver form for parents. Get some, get some of your students on the show. Yeah. Um, I, I love that, uh, you know, the idea of bringing the real world into the classroom and then the real world becomes the classroom, right? Um, because you see that there's so much learning everywhere. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Komal, for being here, thank for you. coming back to yes. the podcast. We will have you on again soon, I'm sure. We love hearing about your adventures in PBL land. Uh, and we're proud of you. We're proud of you for going back in there when so many people are, are flowing the opposite direction. So thanks for- Gold star Aww. for you. Gold star all day long. <laughs> thank you. That's so sweet. Thanks, guys. <laughs> So if you are interested in stories like Comal's, this educational change maker, you can come back here to this podcast. We appreciate you listening. And if you want to support us, please do uh, leave us a review or a rating. Rating super simple. You just go boom, five stars. I mean, I would give five stars, but um, and thank you again. Uh, remember that if you want to bring positive change to education, you must first make it mindful. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for showing up as a parent, but not only just for yourself, but for your child as you consciously make shifts for their schooling. 
To connect with me, follow at The Parent Classroom on Instagram and join my email newsletter to stay tuned for more resources for you and your child. If you are interested in consciousness and education, you can find my book, Raise Your Hand, A Call for Consciousness and Education, now on Amazon. Till next time, bye.